0: Welcome back, everybody, time again, to grab your surfboards. We're going to go swim out into that sea of ideas and see if we can't uh, catch a wave with the wave meister himself, the master at all things sales pipeline related, Matt Hines. Paul, I'm a little worried about you today. (laughs) You
1: Um, are. Why? It's the second Thursday in July. Yes. You're wearing a sweater. You (laughs) live at the beach and you're wearing a sweater. I mean, I live in Seattle where it's overcast. I have an excuse. What's yours?
0: It's cold out, Matt. It probably went down to this morning, I'm going to say the low 60s. It's cold. I'm telling you, you know, I might might have to crank the heat up again tonight if it gets anywhere down around 60. You're going to relate to that. I mean, when it's 70 to 72 degrees every single day, any variation, I get chills.
1: Yeah, our guest today is calling in from Wisconsin, where I imagine it is <laughs> not the same weather. We'll get into that in a little bit. Probably but, hot
0: uh, and humid in Wisconsin today. Yeah,
1: yeah. right. I got, So, I, yeah, we'll get there. Um, well, thank you, everyone, for joining us in another episode of Sales Pipeline Radio. So excited to have you with us as we power into the summer months and really sort of get our feet under us for Q3, second half of the year. Not really the first half of the year we all expected, was it? But um, we're all still here, and if you're listening to this, thank you so much for making sales pipeline radio a part of your work from home or work from wherever you are journey if you're listening to us live on the funnel media radio network thank you very much for tuning in if you're listening to this on the podcast thank you very much for subscribing and downloading all of our episodes of sales pipeline radio over almost 250 episodes now paul available past present and future up at salespipelineradio.com today we are featuring uh, we every week feature some of the best and brightest minds in b2b sales and marketing today is absolutely no different very very excited. From the upper Midwest, where I'm sure it is cool, not humid and hot at all today. We've got from Corporate Visions, the author of the book, The Expansion Sale, Tim Reister. Tim, thank you so much for joining us today. What's Give us a little weather report for the upper Midwest today. How are we doing?
2: We are hot and humid and stormy. So uh, I appreciate being here, Matt, and being able to kick off with a weather report, but we will take it given that if we complain about hot weather, given how often it's cold here, you should just really slap us upside the head, I think.
1: Well, you really do. I mean, I, I'm born and raised on the West Coast, grew up in California, live outside of Seattle now. But I've got a lot of family in Illinois and Iowa. And clearly, you know, the Midwest gets all seasons. Um, you know, you get your crazy winters and you certainly get crazy summers. as Well, some of my favorite memories growing up were going out to Grandma Grandpa's house. They were lived in Peoria, Illinois. And some of the thunderbangers coming through, especially at night could be a little terrifying, but also for a kid growing up in California, we're a lot of fun.
0: I grew, I'm grew. i just going to jump in. you don't usually join in the conversation, but I grew up in the upper Midwest. I was born in Minnesota, lived in Wisconsin, and spent much of my life in Michigan. And the key is, if you don't like the weather, wait five minutes, because it'll change.
1: We, my wife grew up in San Diego, and I remember the first time I took her out to Iowa, and uh, you know, beautiful morning, and then all of a sudden the heavens opened, and it just the faucet turned on and she's like oh man it's going to be a rainy day i said no it's not just wait 20 minutes it'll be fine and it was it was humid later but it was nice well this is not a weather show this is a this is a sales and marketing show and tim i I've, I've had a ton of respect for you for years just seen you you know numerous times on the event circuit you're speaking all over the place and a lot of your talks really center on this idea of conversations conversations in marketing conversations in sales talk a little about the origin of that for you as a focus area and why the concept of conversation is so important to effective sales and marketing
2: yeah a couple of ways I could do this if anybody listening is in a position to just write down a couple numbers if they have a pen or a paper just write down three numbers the first one's 103 the second one is 12 and then the third one is 88 the 103 is a 103 million hands of poker that they've measured online. And what they discovered in 12, 12% of the cases did the best hand actually win the pot. That means 88, 88% of the time, it was the better betting, the better bluffing that won. And I parlay that, pun intended, to this idea of selling, that oftentimes products sound the same, products look the same, products smell the same, and the real winner is the one who can tell the best story the one who can articulate value and our research has shown that even sales leaders agree they're like you know what separates my high performers from low performers it's not the products they sell because they all sell the same products it's not the process they follow because we put one common process in place it's not the tools or technology because they're all using the same crm it's the ability or inability to articulate value so literally what sales people with their lips moving is the differentiation in a highly undifferentiated world,
1: and I think that's an important thing to talk about because it's when we talk about getting and keeping engagement and trust with our clients, it's not because we're sharing facts; it's because we're sharing stories, and it's not just sharing stories; it's making the customer part of that story. So it's a real two-way street. Whenever I share that, kind of kind of an idea. I think people like kind of know their this, Yeah, that's that sounds that's obvious. But if you look at how a lot of people do selling and a lot of sales conversations, even a lot of marketing materials, it's not that obvious in what we see implemented in the field.
2: Yeah, the definition of value and what constitutes value has a lot of opinions and and it can be very abstract, right? And so as long as everybody starts to understand that value is what the customer determines it to be and that the primary driver of value in the mind of the customer is the contrast between what they're doing today and what you're asking them to do tomorrow. They can't even perceive value if you just talk about your solution, its features and benefits. There is no value proposition in your solution, even if you try to link it to a customer problem. The real perception of value is being able to understand their current situation and the change they need to make and what that impact will be.
1: Now you've written a number of books and a lot of them have to do with this idea of the conversations you're having and uh, one of my favorite books of yours is actually one that's almost 10 years old now around the conversations that win the complex sale and i think it's so important to understand the multi-threaded sort of integrated elements required to sort of engage these large organizations with multiple decision makers i want to talk a little bit about the new book which published earlier this year the expansion sale And it really focuses on not only sort of keeping customers, but growing customers. And I think this is a place where, thankfully, I'm seeing a lot more CMOs and organizations invest in not just winning the initial funnel, but really sort of treating sort of the end of the sales funnel as the middle of the revenue bow tie. Talk a little bit about what that means for you and some of the ideas that were really sort of important in this new book.
2: Yeah, I love the idea of the revenue bow tie or the second funnel, recognizing that most of your business comes from existing customers. Well, what we've done in the past is research to figure out how to convince someone who's not doing business with you to do business with you. And it requires a lot of effort to overcome their current status quo bias. But we started asking the question, and we were being asked the question, well, what if you are the status quo bias? Should you be as disruptive? Should you be as provocative? Should you be as challenging? And it turned out, as we do our research, we partner with academic institutions and leaders in the areas of social psychology and behavioral economics as applied to sales. And we run these programs and these simulations and these field trials. We started to discover that the psychology of an existing customer is 180 degrees Different from the psychology of a prospect who's doing business with someone else now it sounds obvious in retrospect but most companies were taking similar approaches saying here's a new product launch let's put out a message and let's send it to prospects and send it to customers and the reality is that the retention and expansion conversations with existing customers live in a different psychology than the acquisition, new logo, business development conversation. And that's what our science told us, and that really is what's in the book. And specifically, we examined the moment of renewal. We call that why stay. We looked at the moment of price increase, Why pay? We looked at upsells. We call why evolve. In other words, why evolve with us and do more? And we even looked at apologies because service problems are something that causes people to worry about the relationship. And we call that why forgive? So from the customer's perspective, these are four questions they ask themselves. And if you listen to them, why stay? Why pay more? Why evolve? Why forgive? They're completely different than the questions we've always heard that customers ask, like why change? Why you? Why now? And that's because they are they're psychologically 180 degrees different.
1: So if this is a different psychology, if this is a different approach, does this require a different team? Can we look to some of the same sort of revenue teams, especially on the marketing side, to do this? Or do the best companies really create a separate discipline and a separate group to manage this effort?
2: We've seen all of it. So the first thing we say is, you need to be situational. So I don't think you need a separate team because everybody might go into a territory and say, this morning, I've got a product that's got 8% market share. I've got to go be a disruptor and defeat status quo bias. But this afternoon, I've got to convince somebody to take my upgrade and accept the price increase that comes along with it. And I got to be a reinforcer and expander. So in any given day, it's not practical for me to say, Every company now needs to divide and assign salespeople appropriately relative to these two different things. I would say you have to be situational and understand the skill and the story you must tell to acquire and the difference in the skill and the story you need to retain and upsell. But I'm seeing all kinds of things. I'm working with a company right now that has a customer success group in charge of renewals. They have the sales group in charge of acquisition, and then they have client managers in charge of upsells. And so there's three groups with numbers, the resell, upsell number, the retention number, and the acquisition number, and it's three different teams. So the good news is we have something to say to each team, but we are dealing with three different teams, practical for every company. So it's about being situational if you can't divide your teams.
1: One of the things I love about the content you guys produce across all formats, like your presentations, the the content you guys have up on the Corporate Visions website, as well as the books, is they're deeply based in research. And so this isn't just opinion. This is sort of fact from the market. The expansion sale is what we've been talking about sort of the last few minutes. This book was published in February. COVID-19 was a bit of a you know a spark in our eyes at that point. Have you noticed anything that has changed in the last few months about the dynamics and the psychology that goes into this or has that been kind of platform and channel agnostic
2: You know, it's interesting. So the book came out in February, the expansion sale, and we contended in the book that 70 to 80% of your revenue for mature companies, your revenue and your growth in this coming year will be from existing customers. After COVID, like the pivot was, well, that was 70, 80%. Now it's like 100% because acquisition is really slowed to a trickle. So the book looks very fortuitous in its timing. In fact, somebody recently when they were interviewing me said, it almost looks prophetic. Do you have any stock tips? And I offered that, honestly, if my life is any indication, wine.com might be a good choice for you. But anyway, suffice it to say, is we have seen a shift where now everybody is pivoting, recognizing that if they are going to survive this current time, retention has to get the kind of attention it deserves as opposed to just trusting it will happen and every extra basis point makes a difference. And it's all about upsells and trying to find some incremental value from your existing customers and and so the timing couldn't have been better for the book, and it has really resulted in a lot of attention for the concepts and the application of those across the entire business, not just like customer success or others.
1: Love it. Well, we got to take a quick break, pay some bills. We'll be back with more with our guests today. We're going to talk more about this uh, double funnel. We're going to get some stock tips. We're going to talk about sort of how things are changing in the second half of the year. Lots more. We'll be back. Sales Pipeline Radio. Mm-hmm.
2: How do you continue to drive predictable revenue in an increasingly unpredictable time? Creating a revenue growth engine is no small task, nor is it one that can be done overnight. And these days, it can feel harder than ever to hit your stride. So how can you overcome the obstacles? Read the new research report on the state of predictable revenue growth from Six cents and Heinz Marketing. Get it now at hub.sixcents.com. Dot com slash prg that's hub dot the number six s-e-n-s-e dot com slash prg
0: all right back to matt and his guests and i'm still anxious to hear more about how your most important sales meeting just went virtual and we can still differentiate and win i don't know it's a different world i don't know if i can virtually compete
1: you know i think and i'd love to get tim's opinion on this because i think you know we've we've lost channels that we were used to before you know we've lost some of the tactics that i think we were most comfortable with Um, i had a conversation this morning with someone around the idea of field marketing they're like well i'm looking forward to when field marketing we can start doing field marketing again i'm like "Well, field marketing never left field marketing never went away like live events went away but that was a tactic not a strategy so, Tim, when we think about like those sales meetings, when we think about like being able to get our teams together for kickoffs, getting together with your prospect, the format of getting together in person and seeing each other in person is gone. How much of the opportunity is gone with it, and can we replace that in more of a virtual setting?
2: Well, interesting, the trends were already showing that much of selling was moving inside. So our data shows that 44% of B2B companies' sales teams were now inside sales. So they weren't having this face-to-face. And then when we ask outside field reps, what percentage of your time in a deal cycle in terms of your conversations are remote or virtual versus face-to-face? And they said it was about 50-50 split. So in my math, it says that about a 70% of all sales calls were already remote. And so now we're taking a look at this like last 30%. So what's going on there? Because that's the part that frightens sellers because they protected that last 30% for those most important meetings, those most critical must-win meetings, the finals presentations, the one where you got the whole team together to pitch the consensus or the one you did you know, some real important planning and co-visioning. And now those are gone. And those are the ones that demanded the most interaction, the most rapport, the most reading of the room. So that's what we're seeing is people are coming to us saying, listen, I was doing a lot of stuff remote already, and it's been a remote world, but the part I went into sales for, you know, in, in Jerry Maguire, where they talk about, this is where I did my best work here in the living room. Salespeople are like, this is where I did my best work. This is where all my razzle-dazzle came to play is in these moments in front of the customer. And all of a sudden, I'm reduced to something the size of a postage stamp in the corner of a screen. And so that's what we've been working with companies to understand is how do you make that moment different, unique, memorable, fabulous, because everybody's a postage stamp. And so that's been kind of the real dialogue we've been having and trying to understand how your presentation itself must change and how you, the presenter, must change. Because changes are required for both. The presentation, because now it's the hero, not the backdrop, and you have to work harder to create interaction and engagement. So those are the big ones that people are really scratching their heads around. And it's not like 90% of sellers tell us, I know I have to change, and 75% say, I'm doing the same thing as I was when I was face-to-face. So they're stuck.
1: Yeah. Well, look, I mean, You can show up and throw up just as poorly in a Zoom call as you can sitting in someone's office. And I actually think that there are elements of an interactive experience that not only can be better than live, but actually couldn't be replaced live. I was talking to someone the other day about sort of like, you know, past events. And let's say you've got a breakout session and you can track whether someone went to a breakout session live and maybe you scan them as they walk in the door. But as soon as they walk in the door you lose complete track of like what they cared about you can't see whether they were taking notes or checking their email you can't see which parts of the presentation in that breakout they cared about which parts they might not have cared about you have very little ability to drive a conversation and engagement between people in that room to create a community and additional questions and answers from a peer-to-peer format so in a one-to-one sweating and a one-to-many setting and we're already seeing this obviously this year is the innovation people are following to not only create engagement with their audience, but also to, you know, back to original point, so to create and encourage conversations are significant.
2: Well, let me give you just one really simple example. You're on a Zoom call and you've got six or seven people from your client or prospect side on the call, and you've got an important question to ask them in the room. If you were face-to-face, Everybody would sort of defer to the person you all know the one you're deferring to, the one that everybody looks at, the senior person in the room waiting for them to talk or just the big talker in general. And you never get the real answer from the whole team. But you know you need consensus. You know you need people to agree on something. The polling function, I'm not talking about chat, just the polling function because it's anonymous. Imagine asking the question, then getting everybody there to honestly respond, and then pull that up on the screen for everybody to see. Use a seller now and have a temperature check you couldn't get in the room because the quiet people wouldn't talk and the loud people would and you would. No idea how close you are to consensus. And now you do. You can see the disparate answers and you can begin to facilitate the consensus building process and nobody's being called out for it. But now you can start to have a conversation so that's just like one really small example of how i think you could actually accelerate something that's important but really hard in face-to-face meeting
1: yeah i agree and i think that as we potentially have a foreseeable future scenario of continuing to work you know remotely and to present remotely i think you know we're going to be forced into that but i think also look i mean there were as you mentioned before there were bad habits that we are not allowed to follow anymore there were things that were just part of our status quo that we're now not allowed to engage in for a period of time. Look, I mean, there's pain and harm happening to companies as well as individuals and people dying, and we want to take that seriously. But I think their silver lining is that as opposed to engaging in incremental change on how we're operating, we're now in many cases seeing some exponential change happening, and there's going to be a lot of lasting lessons that make us better and stronger from this moving forward. What are some examples of some of those that you think for the second half of this year and into 2021 are going to be lasting and most impactful?
2: Yeah, so 70% of sellers tell us they don't think this environment can be as effective. So the first lesson is get over it because attitude is everything in sales. You can't go in with that attitude. It isn't gonna change anytime soon. CFOs are not going to say, you know, what I want to start doing is writing more travel and expense checks for sellers. It's just not going to happen. So you have to get over it. And you now have to say, how can I master this? How can I master that remote selling environment? I think the second thing is that you need to understand how to be situational, is recognize that The most important thing about the person you're talking to isn't necessarily even their persona. It's the situation they're in and being able to adapt your message and your conversation to their situation, understand their situation. Are they doing something one way with someone else? And can you address or situationally address your story to that situation and then later flex it when you're now working with an existing customer who's using something of yours and you're trying to move them to the next move. You need to have that level of situational awareness so that you are more relevant to the customer and they see themselves in the story. And that's going to just be more and more required because you have to hold their attention in a way that when you were in the room, they could pretend to pay attention and they'd have to keep their eyes open and look at you. But when they're virtual, they can do so many more things. So you've got to find a way to empathetically understand the situation they're in and connect yourself to that situation. And I would think officially long-term people are going to have to get more comfortable with being dynamic in a virtual environment. What do I mean by that? The things that you did well in a room, flip charting, whiteboarding, creating dynamic rapport back and forth and capturing that if sellers are not figuring out how to dynamically engage in a virtual environment Where you can share and then capture what's going on back and forth in a way that everyone can see it and comment on it, you are going to lose all kinds of opportunity to one, build the rapport and engagement required, two, advance the conversation to the next step, and three, distinguish yourself. Only three point, uh, give or take, 3.5, 3.7% of sellers tell us they use any form of whiteboard or annotation or some sort of dynamic engagement tool. 87% of sellers tell us they use PowerPoint. I'm telling you, the way you're going to win is you're gonna to have to figure out a way to be more engaging, more interactive, and distinguish yourself that way in order to advance the deal. So hopefully that made sense. One, just sort of get over it, virtuals forever. Two, be situationally relevant because empathy to the situation they're in is more important than just knowing their title and persona. And then three, being able to be dynamic, and interactive in a way that differentiates you from every other super fatiguing virtual call
1: they're having. Now, Paul, I know you have a question here as so we just got a couple more minutes here. Definitely want to remind folks if I mean, Tim's just spitting out knowledge and stats is, and research yeah. like, you're, like, you're just, like, like nuts, but if you want to dig more into this, I highly encourage you to go to corporatevisions.com. Click on the resource library tab. Tim and his team are doing some amazing work, not just the books, but the research, a ton of online events, a great content library, just tons of great research-based insights that, uh, that can make you and your team more successful. Paul, go ahead
0: real quickly i just want to know his opinion i see why buyers want to get back i mean sellers want to get back into the room i want to sell you something i want fate return to face to face do you think buyers are going to be eager once they've learned how to buy remotely it seems like they're more productive they can have more meetings and and uh, they can compress these things down into little zoom calls rather than all day, let's turn it into lunch and everything else here. You think buyers are going to want to go back to this uh, same face-to-face world?
2: I don't. And I've been talking to analysts and Forsters coming out in August. Sorry, Forster, to say all selling's inside selling, and it isn't just because it's going to be because companies realize their sellers can be more productive this way, and the companies you're calling on are going to realize they can be more productive themselves. And I think let's just assume we can healthily get into those companies because I'm seeing research that says companies and people are not going to feel comfortable getting into those close quarters anywhere from six months to three years. And so... What I'm seeing and hearing then is that think of the policies going on in these companies just to get their own people back to work and make that safe. They're not going to want to bring people from the outside who do not understand what their traffic patterns are and all the other steps that they've taken. So there's just nothing about this that says it's going to not be virtual for a long, long time, if not forever.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's great advice, and it gives you reference. I mean, I've seen this trend as well. From you know, with inside sales, is you know, not only do sellers see it as more efficient, buyers prefer it. It doesn't change the value exchange. It still means you have to have a good value proposition, have a reason for people to engage, and you know i think a two-way conversation is going to continue to differentiate the winners and losers in sales and marketing moving forward well unfortunately we are out of time i knew we were going to do this i got a whole list of other questions i was hoping to get to but tim thank you so much for joining us today very much encourage people check out the new book check out uh, corporatevisions.com in their resource section check out the new book expansion sale just some amazing stuff tim and his team are doing we'll be back next week 11 30 pacific two thirty eastern another great episode thanks for joining us today on behalf of of my great producer, Paul, this is Matt Heinz. Thank you so much for joining us on another episode of Sales Pipeline Radio.
0: Another perfect example of why you gotta set your clock and ride along with us each and every week here on the Funnel Radio channel for at work listeners like you.